Becoming a magician takes thousands of hours, right, Ashley? Oh, I'm not a magician. I'm a design specialist at the container store. But you transform closets and pantries. Well, I turn your most frustrating spaces into ones you love. With a magic wand? Uh, with Alpha, our customizable, adjustable, and affordable shelving and drawer system. The amazing Ashley! Making daily frustration disappear. <laughs> Just doing my job. Transform your space with Alpha and save 20% on purchases over $500. Get started with your free design at the container store today. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm Tim Eccles. I'm vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission office down at the Capitol today in our studio in Athens, Georgia, where our show originates from. And my co-host is always Casey Boyce. Casey? Good morning, Tim. It's great to be in studio with you here today and with our guest, Justin Breitharp from the Southeastern Energy Efficiency Alliance. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, Justin, I guess the last time you were on the show, we talked about that little survey you and I did curbside at the airport, uh, just kind of looking at taxis, the type of cars, uh, what type of engine we guess they might run on, the age of the car, how many passengers, and how many people actually wound up getting into the car. Remember that? Wait a minute. Justin, you were the one that got Tim to do that? No, Tim got me to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt like that feels like that was so long ago. But yeah, I do remember that. Um, I think we counted over 100 vehicles in the span of an hour at the airport. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things we discovered, Casey, is that uh, there were way too many old Crown Victoria State Patrol cars being used for cabs wow. in Atlanta and way too little hybrids being used. Justin, do you feel like we've made some progress in this area in increasing the fuel efficiency of cabs? I think we have, and I'll say that because um, I believe the Atlanta Checker Cab Company has been very engaged in the um, conversation and in this, and just in energy efficiency in general. And then they're no stranger to that because they did that in the 1996 Olympics when they, their fleet was natural gas. And I think now it's just it's trying to transition to the next fuel that makes the most sense for their operations. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, Justin, because we we just recently at Escalant did a survey uh, of fleet buyers, right? And so taxi cabs, obviously large uh, uh, fleets. And there is a lot of interest in electric vehicles. And the biggest thing, probably no surprise to you, but the biggest thing that drives that consideration is what's known as TCO or total cost of ownership, right? And so when you look at a hybrid or an electric vehicle, that total cost of ownership tends to be quite a bit lower, right? Right. And, um, and that includes, that's fuel costs, that's maintenance cost, and um, over the life, it, uh, it's a lot cheaper than a gas vehicle. Hey, let's back up a little bit because Justin's new job, well, he's been in for a little while, but his new job is the Energy Efficient Transportation Manager for SIA, uh, the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance. So they're all about efficiency every which way you can slice it. Before that, he worked for CTE. Before that, he was at the City Hall uh, as the EV fellow. And before that, Casey, he was matriculating down at that other school downtown uh, that has a Panther you know, as a mascot. Where I got a degree from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let's back up. Justin, you, uh, you went to GSU. Did you ever think while you were there that your life would eventually, you know, wind up working on these, these type of issues? Um, not specifically. So when I was at Georgia State, I was involved in like the sustainability group, but vehicles was probably the last thing on my mind because vehicles are big in my family, like automotive technicians, uh, worked in manufacturing of vehicles. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do vehicles, but that's ultimately where I ended up. It was in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it was bound to happen. But um, I was all about sustainability in general. We tried to do um, like urban gardening. We did um, 
we collected data on one on top of the one of Georgia State's buildings to see if that was a viable place for wind turbines. And um, but I also interned at the state capitol, and that's kind of how I got my start and focus on like where policy makes a difference and um, into that space. Oh, I didn't know that. Where did you? Uh, whose office did you intern at? Yeah, I um, so I interned during the 2014 legislative session with uh, senators Al- senators Albers and Harper. Wow. So I got a good view of Metro Atlanta as well as rural Georgia during that time. Yeah, I mean, after you've gone through all that you've gone through really over the last, I guess, um, you know, eight years, as you were walking around, walking in a business, uh, you know, just living out your life, does sustainability stuff pop out now way more than it did to you? Is it is it glaring, would you say? I think it is. Um, I think a lot of companies in general are starting to realize the importance of it. I do think it's generational as well. Um, my generation and my sisters, um, it's more, it's, they want to see more of it and, um, purchasing from companies that are involved in sustainability that have sustainable practices, um, that are, that care about that social impact piece. It's important. So it's also important for the environment. It's also important for the bottom line now. Um, but I do. Th- it's it's there now. How, how do you how how do you justify not you personally, but the, the people that you're talking to when mm-hmm. you know when they're talking about climate this and climate that and sustainability this and sustainability that, and then you ask them about their own personal habits, right? Oh uh, well, no, I don't have an electric car, and no, I do. I have you know this, and no, I, I don't. I don't have solar, and I, I don't really know much about that personally what what where's the disconnect with these kids that seem like they're on a crusade a climate crusade yet they don't want to actually live out the technology the disconnect is around education and awareness i also do think um cost is a big part of it um but as these as manufacturing come becomes more readily especially like here in the southeast with all the manufacturing around electric vehicles and um, even around solar it's going to drive the costs down and it's going to create opportunities for people to start living it a little more. It's not just going to be, oh, this is just out of the way. This is, you have to be super wealthy to afford it. Casey, I mean, it, it would seem to me, and maybe it's just, as Justin says, that they're not educated about these opportunities, but let's just take community solar. Mm-hmm. Georgia Power has it. Yeah, it's maybe maybe it is priced up a little too high, but we're not talking about a hundred dollars. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about twenty dollars mm-hmm. a month. Uh, the EMCs have it, uh, and it, it's, it's it's slightly cheaper, and the benefits are better. But it would seem to me that all of this is important to you. That you would begin to go down the road. And, and make progress in this area and adopt some of these things in your own personal life. Yeah, I mean, I think when we look at consumer data, there's a relatively small percentage of people that will inconvenience themselves for something that's more environmentally friendly. And by inconvenience, I mean pay more or have you know something that requires them to you know learn or do something out of the ordinary right so we've talked a lot on the show about you know my first years with an electric car that had 70 80 miles range and you know road trips were an inconvenience right uh, and, and that certainly changed uh, you know with the current crop of EVs that we can talk about later but but so you know there's a small percentage call it 10 12 15 percent of people that'll do that at the same time, when you look at expectations that people have, 70, 80, maybe even 90 percent of people do expect the companies that they do business with to be environmental stewards. And whether that means, um, you know, having a, you know, an integrated um, take around waste. Right. Um, so, t- you know, taking back stuff rather than landfilling it, whether it means in the energy space, having renewable generation. So I, I think there is, a, you know, that kind of divide between people who are willing to take action and people who want to see the action happen. And I think part of what we're looking at, I'd be interested, Justin, in in your thoughts on this, is that we've got a system here, right? So individual actions, 
absolutely matter, right? We talk about those a lot on the show, but also the, you know, kind of collective how we live as a society and the systems that we live in matter too, right? If you're living in central Georgia and there's no public EV charging, it's very difficult for you, even if you're charging at home, to use that vehicle on kind of a day-to-day standpoint, right? So, Justin, curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think one of the things we have to remember is for a lot of people purchasing a vehicle, it's their primary vehicle. And so they're expecting it to do what it can. They're expecting it to do what a gas car can with all the availability of gas stations. But but it can be a little more, and I guess I'll even speak from my own experience because I drive an EV. I drive a 2015 Chevrolet Volt. When I first purchased it, um, I was a little worried about the charging infrastructure, so mm-hmm. I did get the gas backup. But now, I, as I've been driving it, I do drive the battery a lot more. Where I um, live at, the apartment complex, there's charging stations, so I'm able to charge it every day. And of course, move it off. I <laughs> um, don't want to hog the stations. But, um, but I think having robust infrastructure is a critical piece to kind of showing people, hey, this is a viable car. Because once people get into an electric vehicle, they love it. The performance is fantastic. It's it's amazing how quiet it is. Um, the propulsion, the instant propulsion. Um, but I th- it's the infrastructure is a critical piece. Well, Casey, I mean, his 2015 Volt on the open market today, probably 7,000, 7,500. My 2017 Volt uh, probably 8,000, 8,500. My Nissan Leaf, the 2013, um, maybe 4,000, mm-hmm. maybe 3,000. I, you know, I, I just, I just have to think that if these younger kids knew these vehicles were so cheap, if they knew more about them, that they would. When we come back, I want to, I want to talk about all that Justin's learned as he's worked uh, at City Hall, CTE, and now SIA. I want us to, to talk more about energy efficiency. Uh, I want us to talk more about these vehicles and what the infrastructure plan might do for electric transportation. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back with you on Energy Matters uh, with Justin Breitharp and Casey Boyce. Uh, Justin and Casey both went to Georgia State, as did my wife. 
my wife, I met her here at UGA. I was a little older, older than her. Casey, I was a senior. She was a freshman. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, we moved to Atlanta. I was working for Beaudry Ford downtown, Piedmont and mm-hmm. Ellis. Really just... Right at GSU, yeah. In fact, the GSU camp, yeah. the GSU dormitory is built on our old dealership. Yeah. Uh, right where my office was. Uh, but Wendy graduated from Georgia State, had a fantastic experience. And matter of fact, what... What Wendy said about Georgia State, and I don't know that it's true today, but back then before they had dorms, it was a very serious-minded academic campus where people came to further their professional degree or or skills or ambition, where UGA was a little more on the fun side, Casey. From what I know of you and Wendy, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay, so I guess it took, it took me three degrees from UGA to, I guess, equal to, to, yours, yeah, right? Okay. That out, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, Justin, your experience at GSU, did you enjoy your time there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I did. Um, I, I guess, so you should know, I, it took me a few tries before I figured out what major I wanted to do, before I settled on geosciences that's a parent's nightmare by the way it was i it was a constant conversation with my parents it's <laughs> like <laughs> so you're changing your major again it's like yes but trust me i'm, I'm gonna figure this out um, wow but that de- that department was very well versed in um the environmental side and so we had to learn about the the landscape i had to do field camp for six weeks um and then that degree on top of with the internships I did with the Capitol and the Beltline, I think kind of helped round out with what I, where I was trying to go. Oh, and wait, wait, you did an internship at the Beltline too? Yes, right after the Capitol. Wow. I did that one for a year in the government affairs office. What did you learn in that job? Um, that's when I learned a little bit more about, um, I think infrastructure planning, because I had to learn like what the Beltline was doing to talk about it with um, the Atlanta City Council, with the um, Fulton County Commissioners, as even well as with some um, state representatives and state senators of from Georgia. It was a, it was a great process because, of course, just as a student, just learning more about work life in general, but also just understanding where how infrastructure planning how um, real estate, all that can kind of come together to talk about sustainability as well as economic development because we had economic development questions around um, transit, around affordable housing, um, all that that's kind of incorporated into the vision of the Beltline. There's nothing affordable about the housing around the Beltline. I don't think I could buy a condo, Casey, around the Beltline. Yeah, I mean, they, I think, have struggled to realize the affordable housing vision that was originally put in place for the Beltline. And, and, you know, there are some funds being made available and some units uh, being made available. But yeah, if you're looking at any of the market rate stuff, boy, I I don't know that I could afford it either. But, you know, if I was young and had family money, I'd love to live there. Yeah, yeah. Justin... If you created the Beltline, I'm going to ask you, you know how I love to ask you hypothetical questions and put you on the spot. And so I've got to keep that tradition going. If you were creating the Beltline from scratch, having spent a lot of time on it yourself, and Casey, you have two, I have two, um, but it seems like the bikes and the scooters and, I mean, it... To me, I feel like I'm going to get run over every time I'm out there. Is there is there anything you might do different in designing it that would make it safer for pedestrians? I will say this: the way that they that Ryan Gravel designed it, I think is a is great. What I will say though is, with the bikes and scooters, I think those were just unintended consequences. I think that's more about etiquette about so like and usually bikers will understand this like hey i'm passing you on your left they'll ring the bell they'll give they'll give space but another an added benefit of the bikes and scooters is it's more transportation options and i think that's one of the the benefits of the belt line is the um the transit component that's supposed to be a part of it you can walk on it you can bike on it you can ride a scooter on it and and i think that's what we want to to focus on is that our communities thrive when there's options. And that's something that we do focus on at SIA, especially with transportation, is for some communities, a personal car makes sense. For some communities, the uh, public transit, like a bus or a train, or it's walking, or it's a ride share. And um, 
at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we provide as many options for communities as possible and what makes sense for them. Yeah. And I think, you know, early on when uh, the Beltline was planning the Northeast Trail, there was some real debate about the width of that trail. And they actually went with one of the wider options. And it turns out it probably wasn't wide enough, right? Because so many people came up. But the, the debate was how many people are actually going to use this. And you go out there any given Saturday or Sunday and you see the answer to that, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I think those are some lessons learned that are, are hopefully being incorporated. And, I'm, you know, I'm not close to the project anymore, but hopefully being incorporated in the trails that are getting built elsewhere right now. And, you know, to Justin's uh, point, it really is about options, right? I've got... Uh, a friend who um, bike commutes every day to that other Georgia university um, uh, that uh, is in Atlanta. The trade uh, school down there? The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You may have heard of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he uses the Beltline every day to get from Decatur uh, over to uh, kind of Midtown area uh, to, to Georgia Tech. And, uh, you know, it's challenging when there's lots of people out. He said, you know, if it's off time, right, it's great. It's really quick, but it's not intended necessarily to be something where, um, you know, it's it's the interstate highway for cyclists. It's it's not designed for that. And to Justin's point, it's really about the etiquette of folks who are on bikes, scooters, et cetera, rollerblades, whatever it is, uh, to make sure that they're being respectful of other trail users and keeping everyone safe. Yes, if I'm walking along holding my wife's hand, you know, heading down to Pont City maybe from from Krog, uh, and I'm not thinking about anything, you know, much, you know, I'm, I'm there to relax, but there's someone going to work, right, right. Uh, and they're late, uh, then, you know, it's, a, it's an accident wait, waiting to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a great experience that you had there because these these trails, rails to trails, is is something you often see because they are taking the old rail beds and turning them into trails. I mean, Justin, it seems like every area in our state, our state that I go to, they're talking about trails. Right. You're absolutely right. Um, I even say we're, my parents live in uh, Swanee, and we've been on the Swanee Greenway Trail, and mm. we absolutely love it. It's a nice way to, I think, it's a nice way to kind of see what else is in your community because that's also how we found like small businesses, like local shops that now that my family loves to go to. And, um, and I think that's another added benefit of these, um, these trails, these other transportation options is that um, you kind of get to see your community. You kind of get to see it live and and grow and um, and I think that's where the economic development is it supports small businesses yeah and I think that gets into the systems that we were talking about earlier right as you change the systems and give people those options and it it helps them live that more sustainable life Tim yeah that's right I I was at the doctor getting a physical recently and the nurse practitioner uh, who was taking my you know blood pressure and giving me my blood work report was wearing a, a face mask that had the BYD electric bus logo now i had i had been out to the byd plant in lancaster and i had seen where they had made a lot of face masks i mean they must have had three thousand big boxes of face masks sitting out there in one kind of assembly lane Um, so she was unaware that byd was actually an electric bus manufacturer (laughs) that just happened to have made masks during uh during covid just a couple of minutes left in this segment, Justin, but when you were at CTE, you all talked a lot about transit and grants and bigger pieces of equipment besides scooters, right? Tell us how, how that experience worked in your life. Right. Um, so when I was at uh, CTE, um, a lot of the work was around bus deployments. And so a few of the projects I worked on were in um, like Jacksonville, Florida, uh Broward County, like Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as well as in South Carolina and um, in Georgia. And, but when you transition, buses produce a lot of diesel and, um, and the diesel particulate matter is not good for air quality. It can lead to um, respiratory illnesses like asthma. So when you transition those um, fleets to electric, where they have um, regular operations, regular schedules, they come back to a place to where they can charge. It makes a huge difference. And not to mention it saves money for the um, transit agency as well. Casey uh, Macon has two BYD buses. We actually had our Clean Energy Roadshow on the Mercer campus, had one of those buses there, did a, uh, a ride 
kind of a field trip after we finished up our seminar over to their bus barn where they have a couple of BYD chargers. They're mm-hmm. getting five more of these buses. The University of Georgia, where we're recording from uh, here in, in Bogart, uh, they have 19 of them, yeah. I think. You you do a lot of research around the U.S. and your company around the world. You're seeing more uh, EV transit buses. Yeah, again, you know, kind of back to the comment I made in the, the first section, um, you know, what we see from fleet buyers, including transit agencies, is a concern about that total cost of ownership, right? And so, you know, uh, you look at, at buses and they're able to use regenerative braking to bring themselves to a stop. So they basically never need to replace the brakes on those things. Um, that's a big savings, right? The electricity as fuel is a big savings. So definitely a lot of interest. When we come back, I want to talk a little more about these transit buses. I want to get into this infrastructure bill with all the money for the charging, uh, the F-150 Lightning, the SK Innovations plant here in Georgia. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here, and I, I I want to dive into this. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. We'll be right back. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 CNG pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with Justin Breitharp, my co-host Casey Boyce. Justin, thanks for being in the studio today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Casey, you know I've been doing this clean energy roadshow for 11 years. We've had some fun on the roadshow. I mean, I remember in 2015 when Porsche loaned me their Panamera e-hybrid with Uh, green brakes. And I I would have to say that up until this last roadshow, it was the most memorable, personal experience, you know, and me personally interacting uh, with the vehicles. I mean, Cobb MC uh, had loaned me their Tesla Model Y, but this year we had two electric school buses, one from Bluebird, made in Georgia, and then one from Lion, uh, the Lion C, I think they call it, made in Montreal, soon to be made in Illinois. And that those buses were uh, the talk of the show. Yeah, well, and and it's interesting because like on the electric school bus front, you know, Justin was talking about particulate matter that buses emit and just how much healthier it is for kids who ride on electric school buses. So I'm really excited about electric school buses. But Tim, I don't think that's why you brought it up, is it? Well, as we were preparing for our field trip and our field trip was leaving Georgia Tech Savannah and riding over to the Port Fueling Center where they're going to have 22 chargers, natural gas pumps. It's going to be an incredible place, just nine-tenths of a mile from the port. But I mentioned to them, since we were taking the two buses, wouldn't it be cool to see which of the buses were faster? 
I had kind of forgotten about it. I have a CDL, by the way, a commercial driver's license. So I was driving the Bluebird bus because the Bluebird representative there didn't have a CDL. It was about a 20-minute drive over, and I was just, you know, cruising along, obviously being very careful to obey the speed limit. But we, I, I stopped at a light on Highway 21, not too far from where we were going, and up pulls the lion bus beside me Uh at a traffic light. I see where this is going, Tim. (laughs) So I looked over at Maria, the driver, and uh, and made a little signal. Uh, The speed limit on this road was 50 miles an hour. This is a U.S. highway. So we were stopped. We agreed that we would both floor the electric bus uh, (laughs) upon, upon the light turning green. Now, this is a school bus. This is a big vehicle, right? And it's electric, and it's not a huge motor, you know, uh, on these vehicles. So, anyway, we floored it, uh, and it's, I don't know, it may be zero to 60 in, like, 20 seconds. It's a its a very, very long process. Took a sweet time is what you're saying. But we didn't get to 60 because I wasn't going to go over the speed limit. But I'll have you know that the Bluebird bus getting to 50 miles an hour, it took us a little while, but it did beat the Lion bus by... Three bus lengths. Three bus lengths getting to 50. So those school systems listening into our show today, if you need a little faster bus, I mean, they're both great, but if you need a little faster bus, the Bluebird definitely has the torque and top speed. Well, and I think we we chalk that up as another win for Georgia's burgeoning EV sector, right? We've got the faster school buses made here. Yeah, that's right. You never hear anybody brag about anything like that. (laughs) Justin, let me ask you, uh, you know, we talked about transit kind of in the last segment, but school transportation, those buses were running on diesel, too. And kind of as uh, Casey mentioned earlier, that's that's kids around that diesel matter, the particulate matter. So when you build electric school buses that produce zero tailpipe emissions, that makes a huge difference for um, our kids and for the air quality. But I mean, I have to also say, like, school buses are kind of the, a hot topic right now, even, not just in the southeast, but across the country. But I think there's a there's a gap there, I think, with funding, helping our school systems kind of kind of get over that threshold to purchase electric school buses. Have either of you heard of any creative ways for school boards to finance these buses? Oh, yes. Yes, I was I was just going to say, you know, Tim, obviously you're you're a regulator here in Georgia and I work with utilities across the country and there are a couple of utilities that are actually participating in really innovative financing mechanisms for school districts. So, uh, both Con Edison, which is the the utility up in New York and Dominion Energy Virginia, which covers much of Virginia, they've got similar programs. So I'll kind of describe it generically, but basically the school districts buy the chassis and then the utility buys and manages the battery. And so the the school district actually gets a lower cost bus than they would otherwise if they were buying a diesel or natural gas. And the utility gets a grid asset because those school buses are parked. Oh, wait a second. Pretty, the utility's going to get to use the battery. Oh, yes. So those those buses are parked during the day when they're not ferrying kids around and during the summer when there's not school, right? And so they're plugged into the grid and the utility can use those batteries for grid function, whether it's, you know, regulating frequency, whether it's, you know, providing some peak power, um, but they get the value from that battery because those buses are stationary. And in my mind, that's a win-win, right? I mean, the school district gets something. It's better for the kids. It's better economic. Economically, the utility gets something that allows them to better manage things on the grid side. It's just a it's Casey, great I program. love this idea. Justin, I mean this is this is this is incredible. I, Casey, I, I wish you would get me some more details so that maybe we put this in as a pilot or at least try to get this as a pilot with with a school system or two in this integrated resource plan. Let's do it. And I'll, I'll go talk to uh, my neighbors who are on the, the city schools of Decatur uh, school board. We'll do it in Decatur, uh, you know, four square miles. We don't need a lot of range, uh, unlike maybe, uh, I don't know, the Whitfield County School District uh, might need a, a little bit more range in their buses. But yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Whitfield County is actually Dalton utilities, so I don't regulate them. So let's keep it within the Georgia Georgia power system indicators definitely well, that's fine, Georgia yeah. power system. <laughs> Justin what do you think about that idea of, of the utility owning the battery and having the authority over the battery yeah I, that makes a huge difference because the battery is the bulk of the cost of the electric school bus when you kind of take away that barrier I think it opens up the doors for further adoption and it like Dominion Energy is a member of SIA 
And it's great to hear like when we see our members doing like innovative work that way. And, um, and we hope to see that replicated across the Southeast. That Lion bus, you could put three batteries on the frame, four or five. So depending on the range that you needed, who knows, that, that bus may have been heavier the other day, which may have been why it couldn't keep up with the Bluebird. Not, mm. not, not positive um, because I wasn't quite sure how many battery packs it had. But I love the idea of the utility being able to tap into the battery, particularly, Casey, on hot summer afternoons. Yeah, when you're not using those school buses, yeah. And, and you know, I think the, the other thing, you know, we think about systems and we think about sustainability, right? So, so Justin and I have both talked about, and, and Justin certainly much more eloquently than I, about the, the health benefit to kids of having electric school buses, right? But there's also been a lot of studies that show that schools that are built to a high degree of sustainability that have high indoor air quality, they have higher test scores. And so this whole thing is it's not just about saving money. It does that, too. It's not just about saving the environment. It does that, too. But it's about our kids and their ability to learn. That must have been what happened when I took the SAT and the LSAT. I must have been in a bad building. Poor air quality. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that, that had to be it uh, because I, I couldn't get into the University of Georgia today uh, with the scores that I had back in 1978. But we won't, we won't get in, into that. Justin, your thoughts uh, here before we jump to this topic of, of rideshare on, uh, on what it's going to take for school systems to be able to introduce these buses. Yeah, I think um, continuing innovative programs like Dominion Energy and Con Edison have been doing is a great way to do it. I think also recognizing that um, this federal investment from the um, the bipartisan infrastructure bill is a huge um, opportunity for our school districts. And I think um, if we can work with our, our state superintendents, our, our state governments to make sure that there's a good way to make sure this money is known and it's out there. So it's it's spread a little bit more equitably. Like I'm in I'm from Atlanta. I love Atlanta, but I want to see some electric school buses in Valdosta and Savannah in Americus, like other parts of the state as well. So whose job is it, Justin, to let 159 school boards know about this program? It's going to take a concerted effort and a lot of partnerships. And I will say that's where um, we're SIA, what we like to do, we like to facilitate and convene. We want to make sure that all the right players are at the table so that, hey, this is what's available. This is the timeline. This is what's needed to get it going. And um, like it's, it's going to be a concerted effort on all of our parts, on the regulatory side, the legislative side, and the nonprofit sector, and, and also in the private industry as well. Justin, you worked in the legislature before you worked at the Beltline, before you worked at the city. I mean, you've got such rich experience. But knowing what you know about the legislature, right, uh, are you you optimistic now that we have a battery plant, which we didn't have when you were there, now that we have, you know, an F-150 Lightning on the way that we didn't have then, are you optimistic that my Republican colleagues in the legislature – will pivot and embrace electric transportation. Absolutely. Um, when I was at, at the city of Atlanta, um, we kind of had four kind of messages that EVs brought, like four positive benefits, and not just the emissions and the air quality, but you had um, national security, reduces um, dependency on foreign oil, um, economic development because of all the jobs, and of course, um, the low cost ownership. What about the fourth one? That was the emissions one. The emissions one. Hey, when we come back, as I promised, to get into this about the ride share, Lyft, Uber, do you do any of those? Well, I'm going to tell you a very cool program that puts electric vehicles out there, at least for Lyft customers. We'll talk a little more about the bus situation. The school buses, they are the next big thing, and literally big thing coming. So stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. 
The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles, one more segment with our buddy Justin Breitharp, Casey Boyce. Uh, Casey, uh, you and Justin, you went to uh, Georgia State. And Justin, I mean, when you look at this experience that he had starting so young, I mean, he's still young, but he really started down this sustainability expertise trail at a very young age. Yeah, well, and, and and Justin, what I love about your story is kind of bringing the different perspectives to bear, right? Like you talked about your experience in public policy and kind of understanding the impact that that can have. And then, you know, working in the nonprofit and advocacy space and, and working with industry and kind of, you know, how do you bring all of these things together to, to make change? And, you know, Tim, I, I'm really hoping in this segment um, that, that we can get into one of the things that, that Justin is, is is working on, which is equity around how do we we actually electrify transportation? And I know we've talked about it on the show even earlier this morning about you know how inexpensive some of these used EVs are and how they're a great transportation option for folks. But the the reason I'm really interested in having this conversation is you know in working with utilities we hear from a lot of them this question around well you know how do we make sure that underserved communities because utilities have to serve everyone right it's not like apple where they can choose we're not going to serve a certain segment they've got to serve everyone as a utility how do we make sure that folks have access to electric vehicles and these things that you know make the community's life better because of air quality that reduce the uh you know the cost to the consumer around transportation um so i'm looking forward to this part and i know tim you've got some experience with a program here in atlanta uh, that that helps make evs more accessible yeah let let me just set this up before we get into it because this word equity it bothers me a little bit uh and it's tossed around in the psc world and the energy world and i'm always having to ask people to clarify exactly what they mean because sometimes what they mean is not what not what i'm thinking about because i i have this firm conviction that that if you're helping a poor person or a low-income person or a person that has a high energy burden, it's, it's, it's oftentimes much better to just put insulation in their house than it is to put a solar panel on their sure, house. Sure, absolutely. Right? And so I think oftentimes some of these uh, energy folks in the energy community, I'm talking about professional people, lobbyists, advocates, uh, that they somehow think, that everybody needs an electric car, that everybody needs a solar panel. And I really don't see that as the answer for everyone. Maybe it is, Casey. Maybe if they've got a great roof and a good housing situation, maybe solar is their next step. I mean, depending on where they live, how many kids they have, and what responsibilities they have, yeah, maybe a Nissan Leaf would work for them. Uh, maybe not. So I, I think let's just let's just start out, and I want to have Justin kind of define equity, transportation equity, as he uses it at SIA. Justin, so kind of at SIA, how we define equity, we kind of we have it broken down into four categories: infrastructure, jobs, vehicle access, and emissions. Emissions, I'm going to start with because um, low to moderate income communities. Um, black, indigenous communities of color, as well as rural communities are usually overburdened by emissions and poor air quality. And so when you invest into extra infrastructure, when you invest into um, electrified transportation options, not just personal vehicles, but the needs of the community, it makes a huge difference and it cleans up the poor air quality in these communities. Hold it. Let me stop you right there, because you said 
that rural communities often have poor air quality, but yet it's only the Atlanta metro area that has to get an emission sticker because they're out of attainment with the EPA. If you live in Macon or Valdosta or Columbus, you obviously don't have the the air quality issues that Atlanta does or else you would have to have an emission sticker, right? Right. And that actually um, and because of that actually affects a lot of access to funding, too. But um, and that's based off of the EPA's measurements of um, how much exposure somebody's supposed to have per day. But um, we don't look at it that way at SIA. We do look at it kind of overall in, in the sense of equity. And so and thankfully, actually, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, there is money dedicated to areas that are not so areas that are in attainment can access that money as well. Casey, how do you define equity? I mean, it is kind of a it is kind of a loaded word these days. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I guess I'll take two kind of uh, points on this. I think, you know, when when I talk about what my clients are looking at uh, as utilities, it's usually around access to electric vehicles. So it's it's the actual transportation piece. And, and really kind of what they're looking at is to say, hey, you know, we've got communities we serve that, you know, probably are never going to be buying a new car, um, right? You know, the, the, our lowest income new buyer, new car buyer segment has a household income of $100,000, right? That's well above the median household income in the US, right? So, so they're saying these are folks that are not gonna be new car buyers, but we want them to drive electric vehicles and so how do we get them in electric vehicles if they're buying a used vehicle right so that's what my clients are typically looking at when they talk about equity for me you know personally it's about opportunity as much as anything right so you know outcomes i think are always going to differ but it's you know um, making sure that it's not um you know, we're not taking our problems and foisting them on someone else, right? That just doesn't seem like a, a very nice thing to do. Yeah. So, Justin, you had uh, three other criteria. Yeah. Um, so, when we talk about infrastructure, we talk about um, equitably deploying infrastructure within the communities. However, that should that's also kind of in, tan- in tangent with vehicle access, kind of as Casey mentioned. So, let me ask you this question. When the DOT divides up their transportation money, mm. they do it equitably by congressional district. So District 2, where Sanford Bishop is a congressman, mm-hmm. they're going to get as much as District 5. And those districts are based on population. Do you consider that equity? In the sense of, of transportation, not necessarily. And the reason why is, is that... District 2, they do have corridors. So like a 85 and 185 going to Columbus. But when we look at that, we're trying to look at it from the ports. So airports, seaports, and inland ports. And then we're also looking at it from um, our travel corridors. Because Atlanta is a non-attainment because we have 75, 85, and 285 where a lot of trucks come through. We have the Port of Savannah, one of the busiest ports in the country kind of coming through to get to other parts of the country. And um, and that leads to the emissions piece. And that's why there's the equity, because some communities in Atlanta and Macon are exposed to a lot more air pollution and air, poor air quality than some parts of South Georgia. That doesn't mean South Georgia should not be considered. It's just we need to recognize that some communities are affected a lot more differently than others. So, Casey, every container ship that comes into the Port of Savannah goes by impoverished Tybee Island uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and and impoverished Wilmington Island. Uh, and, and So would equity mean that Tybee is eligible because it has container ships coming by it every day? I, I, that's out of my depth. I've got no idea, Tim. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think ultimately, though, you know, what, what we're trying to do, I, I think when we're talking about sustainability is, is you know, making a better environment for everyone, regardless of where they live. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the details of, of kind of eligibility and, uh, you know, appropriation of funding well above my pay grade. Yeah, the, re- the reason I bring this up is because definitions matter. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I... I'm a constitutional officer in the state of Georgia, and I've sworn an oath to the Georgia Constitution and, and, and Georgia law. And so I have to follow that. And the definitions they use in that document matter right. to me for me doing my job. And that's why I, I bring it up, because this word is being thrown about 
now and 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 it seems like there's some agenda associated with it and i don't necessarily uh, you know agree with everything that everybody's putting underneath this definition of equity it seems like people are taking some liberty yeah and i mean my observation is that you know that that often happens in political processes and people will use words to define in groups and out groups of tribes um but i you know i think when you look at the reality of it you know Tim, you consider the impact on low-income ratepayers when you make decisions at the PSC. Is that the only thing that drives your decisions? No, but I know you've got a very personal commitment to that in some of the volunteer things that you've done, um, in you know some of the programs that you've worked with the utility company to put in place. So, in my mind, that's what it's about. It's not in-group, out-group, you know, tribal language, political language. It's about like what are we actually doing here? Yeah. So we don't, we only have a minute left, unfortunately, but. <laughs> uh, this this Cox Automotive pivot program uh, down there with Lyft is is to me been a fantastic thing where a low income person on the south side can come in and rent a you know practically brand new Chevy Bolt get free electricity and do Lyft rides get the money off of that and have the insurance paid uh, as well. Justin, that program uh, has been just a, a, a fantastic opportunity to, for folks that, that, that need a car that didn't have one. Right, yeah, and I think that's a, a perfect like, example of public-private partnerships and how, how that's gonna be critical as we advance towards more electrification and transportation. Well, Justin, great, great luck as you continue on at SIA. You just have just such a wealth of experience uh, that's made you so effective. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, Casey, uh, great having Justin on. Thanks for all, all your work. And you've had a lot of experience, too, Casey. That's why you're the co-host of this radio show. <laughs> well, it's always fun, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> We're great. Hey, catch us out there on Twitter at Matters Radio or subscribe to our podcast. This becomes a podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcast at Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles. And we'll push a couple of episodes to you every week. Well, I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters, and it does matter. Have a great weekend, everyone. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.